Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. How y'all? You look amazing. Turn the person beside you and say, you look good. Don't get carried away. Some of y'all single, I see you. Uh, a couple of weeks uh, is Easter. Easter is, it's a huge day. It's a huge day because as we understand it, um, there are two days during the year that are the most likely for unchurched people to walk through your door. Christmas Eve and, and Easter. And you have to understand the heartbeat of this church because we love the people that Jesus gave his life for. We're crazy about them. In fact, you have to understand that 36% of the people that attend this church, about 36% have never been to any church of any kind. If you've been raised in the South and if you've been church, you can't even wrap your brain around that, but that is the truth. About another 14, 16% of the people that we reach say, I haven't been to church in the last 15, 20 years. And so in two weeks, we have an opportunity to reach more of those folks because they're more likely to come. And so as you leave today, please get one of these invite cards. And I hope that what you have is you have a neighbor, and, and there are tons of people that go to church, and if they go to other churches, awesome. And I'm, I know that you're proud of your church, and, and thank you for being so proud of your church and for believing in what we do. But it would really be cool if we could just reserve those seats for those folks that don't know Jesus. Because I can guarantee you that day is going to be amazing. A message really that God started turning my heart last Christmas, quite honestly. A verse of scripture that I used, I couldn't get out of my head, and so it's it's a verse that we're going to use. We're going to talk about being covered, what it really means to be covered. And so you just, you want to make sure that you have your unchurched folks here that day. And so grab some of these cards. You know, invite them at the grocery store, uh, you know, where you buy gas, uh, you know, wherever you happen to be. Invite people. Uh, in, invite your neighbors. Um, and again, if they go to other churches, man, that's awesome. And we're not, this is not like just a high attendance day for us. And you understand what I'm saying? This is not like friend day. And so we just want to make sure that we pack the house with people. We want to pack the house with just unchurched people. So if I could just say that as lovingly as I know how, it would be awesome. Can you do that for me? Thank you. Thank you. I think that we would all agree that our world is in a mess. I don't think you have to be a Democrat or a Republican or have any kind of political affiliation to look at our world. But I think more importantly, it's not just the world. I think that you would have to look at our country and you would have to draw the conclusion that it's in a mess. Here are a few images from the past year.
Normally, when we do clips, we put music behind the clips. And I just thought it would be more appropriate if we didn't today. And the silence is deafening, isn't it? We're in a mess. So what happened? What in the world happened? What, what happened here? What happened? I bet some of you are thinking, well, I know. I mean, if you've been living under a rock, it was COVID. I mean, it was about a year ago, and, and, and COVID, I mean, it just it's disrupted everything, and people are living in fear, and people are scared to get out, and we don't know how to do relationships. And, and really, it's, it's all, it's, it's COVID. There's some others of you that would say, absolutely not. It had nothing to do with COVID. It was the election. It was the election that did it. it those Democrats, those Republicans... And I totally disagree. I think that all this stuff that we've been through, COVID, the election, people losing jobs, life. I think all this pressure has just squeezed out of us what's been in us for a very long time. I think that the hate and the intolerance and the anger and the bitterness, I think it's been there all along. I just think all the stuff that we've been through has just brought us to a boiling point. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think that going back to normal will fix anything. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know what normal is. M maybe normal is just faking it. Maybe we faked it. But the pressure squeezed out of us what's always been there. I would definitely say that we need something. It's obvious that we need something in our relationships that we don't have. And it's obvious that we don't have it. We need a better than normal. Believe it or not, Christianity in its original form, was extraordinarily attractive. And Christianity was attractive because Jesus was attractive. He was attractive. And I still read the New Testament and I look at the people, the massive crowds that were drawn to him and it was the worst that society had to offer. And I remember going to church. I wanted to avoid all the spiritual people. Hello, anybody else? You know, if I, the guy that you work with, you want to stay away from them. I mean, you felt guilty just being in their presence. And yet, here's the thing. People were drawn to Jesus. Early Christianity was attractive. In fact, it was so attractive that it eventually became the predominant religion of the Roman Empire. And the thing that made Christianity so attractive, at least in its original version, really can be summed up in one word. It's a powerful word. It's love. Paul said it like this in Galatians 5, and I don't know that there's a more pertinent verse for today than this one. He said, the only thing that counts, the only thing that really matters is faith 
Absolutely, faith matters. But it's faith expressing itself through love. If we were to say, Paul, where in the world, what does faith express in itself through, what does that look like in real life? Then he would have said, well, I tell you, it's, it's submitting to one another. And in fact, he did say in Ephesians 5, he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he would have said, I'll tell you, and there's another, forgiving one another. I mean, if you want to know what, really, what real love looks like, how it expresses itself, well, it's forgiving one another. And in Ephesians 4, he said this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, in Christ God forgave you. And then he would have said, I tell you what, but that's not enough. It would be encouraging each other as well. It's encouraging each other. That church should be one of the most encouraging places that you could possibly be. Why would unchurched people be drawn to church? Because they'll say, man, let me just tell you, when I go, I, whoa, those people are just awesome. They're encouraging. Ephesians 4, he said this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Well, the Baptists were out on this one. Before you get mad, we're actually Baptists. Some of you were shocked. Some of you don't even know what that means, but it's okay. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then when he wouldn't have been done, he would have said, well, I'll tell you what else it is. Love, this real love thing, it's restoring one another. I mean, it's actually restoring one another. Restoring one another. And then here's what he said in Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, let me tell you what you should do. You should restore that person with violence and anger, cussing. He, he said you do it with this gentle spirit of love. He wouldn't be finished there. He would say caring for one another. I mean, love is caring for one another. Philippians 2, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And then he would have said, well, that, and that's not quite it either. Bearing with one another. You have to bear with one another. That's what real love does. And in Ephesians 4, he actually said, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he would have said, he said, you know what, and, and all, of that's, all that's awesome, but it's one more thing. At least there's one more thing. You've got to carry each other's burdens. You've you got to carry each other's burdens. In Galatians 6, he literally said, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. And if you were to, if you were to ask Paul, if you were to have said, man, you've come up with a lot of great ideas. There are a lot of lofty ideas. But where, where did you come up with all of this? I mean, like, did you just make this stuff up on your own? I mean, I know that like, you wrote Scripture and you were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So is, is that like the Holy Spirit inspired and this is what he told you? Paul would have said, no, 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 it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. And I certainly was inspired. I, I wrote what God told me, but it's more than that. There was someone who set the example. And that really, at the end of the day, is the only thing that matters. Words on a page mean nothing to no one, right? Let's just be honest. Paul said, in your relationships with one another. You want to get it right? And when you doubt and when you, you miss a point and you said, did he say barren? Was that forbearing? Was that barren? Was that, 
carrying? Was that forgiven? So how do I? He said, look, here's the thing. You just look at the life of Jesus. And what I want you to do is just love like Jesus. I want you to love other people like Jesus has loved you. That's all you got to do. It's easy, simple. What do y'all say? Let's go to the house. You're not so lucky. Can you imagine? Could you imagine in a world where skeptical people doubt what we believe? Where they're not sure, literally, they're not, and I talk to people out there, I hope you do as well, that literally he'll look at me and go, I just don't know about the Jesus thing. I don't know if I can buy the whole story. I mean, the resurrection thing, it's, a little, it's pushing a little bit too far for me. I'm not sure I can buy that. What if those skeptical people would be so envious of how well we treated one another that they would want to lean in and listen to the story of Jesus? Because somewhere along the lines, they would say, how in the world do you people do it? How do you care for each other? How do you love each other? How do you nurture each other? How do you forgive one another? How do you carry each other? How do you do all of that? And we would say, I'm so glad you asked because humanly I don't have the strength of the power. So what I'm missing, I just, listen, here's the story of Jesus. Imagine a world where unbelievers were so anxious to hire and to work for and to work with and to live next door to Christians who, who literally just submitted to one another. Who showed what it's like to forgive one another. Who encouraged one another. Who restored one another. Who cared deeply for one another. Who would bear with one another and would carry each other's burdens. Can you imagine a world like that? Believe it or not, there was a time when that world did exist. And what was true then can be true and should be true today. Would it make COVID go away? No. I still wrote this sentence. I'm still not sure I should say it. I'm going to say it anyway. Would it make politicians better? Would it make them less selfish? Less power hungry? Probably not. But I would say that if we were busy just loving each other, I don't think we'd care what Washington said. No laws, no legislation. We would just look at them and laugh and say, it won't matter to us. Us down here on the ground level, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to continue to carry each other's burdens and love each other and forgive each other. We don't care what you say. It just doesn't matter. And people outside the church, they would find the teachings of Jesus and Jesus so attractive that they would want what we've got. If we only love one another, if we, could, if, if we could just love each other. So how do we get back to loving like Jesus loves and turning this crazy world around? Is it possible? I do believe it's possible. I hear others that think that that's not true and it, the world's soon going to come to an end. I'm still that, I still believe in the power of God that can radically change a life. 
So how do we get back to that? Well, let me tell you, we're going to have to die to ourselves. Man, I hope you heard me. Let me say it another way. You're going to have to die to your agenda. Let me, let me put it another way. You're going to have to die to your plans. Can you handle that? Your agenda? Your plans? And we're going to have to totally live for Jesus. And we'll have to offer to others what we've been given, which is another really powerful single word. And I don't know which come first, love or this word is the word grace. Can you have love without grace? Can you have grace without love? I don't know which came first. But I know that you can't have one without the other. And we do all want grace, don't we? So your boss comes in and he sits down at your desk or he calls you into his office and he looks at you and he just lays it out. He has a list of things that you have not been performing well in. And in that moment, you, you know he's right. You know that you have no excuse. You know it. You're guilty of every single thing that he says. And even though you might not know the word, what you're looking for in that moment is some grace. Right? You get caught cheating on your spouse. It's a terrible mistake. Somehow you got caught up in a moment. You don't, you don't know exactly how. You love your spouse. You really do love your spouse, but maybe it was a bad day. Maybe they weren't meeting your needs the way that you thought that they should. There was somebody else that was trying to meet that need. And, and in a moment, a crazy, idiotic moment, you made a mistake. And as soon as you crossed that line, you knew it. And you went, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And you're guilty. And as you look at your spouse, you, you know you know that you don't deserve their love. And you know that you don't deserve their grace, but that's what you're looking for. That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're praying for. But there's a flip side to grace. Grace is what we want when we've messed up. Y'all know where I'm going, don't you? But it's also what we're hesitant to give when we've been hurt. When we're on the receiving end, it's extraordinarily refreshing. When it's required of us, it's extraordinarily disturbing. I guess we better define grace for those of you that may be brand new to church or still not quite sure what the word means. So let me give you a definition. And I kind of argued with the Lord about this. And I thought, well, let's go in a different direction. Can we say it a different way? He said, no, this is what he wants. I said, okay. Undeserved, unearnable. And I was afraid that I couldn't say that word. I'd get tongue twisted. And, but I couldn't come up with any, I couldn't find a better way to say it. Unearnable favor. Y'all with me? Unearnable favor. That's what it is. You can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. Hang on. Let that lay with you just for a second. 
If you plan your own surprise party, will you void the surprise, <laughs> right? That kind of voids the whole idea. If anybody, people jump out and say, surprise, you can say, I knew it was coming. You should have been a little more to the right, a little more to the left. I'm just saying, you were off just a tad. You should have screamed. The moment that you think you deserve grace, and I'm going to be honest with you, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, a, a lot of religious people over the years that were angry at God and were angry at others because I'm going to be honest, they thought they deserved grace. And the moment that you think that you deserve it, it is no longer grace. So are you tracking with me? Grace is what you hope for, pray for when we've messed up. And it's the thing that we're hesitant to give when we've been hurt. Let's just be honest. The feeling is, is that when I've been hurt, grace is not fair. It's not fair. We, we want to demand our rights. We want, that's not fair. You can't ask that of me. It's not just. It's not fair, but it's not just. And it's not just, and because it's not just, just to be honest with you again, I think it seems weak. People that are gracious are people that, that look weak. you got to stand up for yourself. Be a man. Right? The gospel writer John sits down as an old man under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. He, he begins to tell us the story of Jesus. And he starts off, I will be honest, God told him what to write, but it sounded a little weird to me. In the beginning was the Word. Like right off you go, what? What's the, what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And immediately some people are going, I don't know what that means. But then he explains it to us. He says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Oh, that's, that's Jesus. Oh, wow. So the Word was spoken. That's the power of it when you dig into it. And then don't miss this. He says, and we, we've seen his glory. And I love that part because what he's saying is, look, this is not something that a friend told a friend told a friend who told their cousin who told me. So this is not, you know, secondhand news. This is not thirdhand news. I, here's what, I'm writing something right now. I'm writing about something right now. That it was, it was me, and it was, it was, it was Peter, and, and it was James, and it was all the other boys. And then it was about 500 witnesses. I'm telling you, this, this is not a folk tale. This is not something we heard about. We saw it with our own eyes. It was amazing. It was life-changing. That's what it was. And then listen to this last part. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, who came from the Father, watch this, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Now, here's what I want you to notice. He didn't say the balance of grace and truth. And that's where we struggle. Don't we? We struggle with the balance of grace and truth. If you're a parent, Come on, let's, you say, well, okay, I've told my child, I've given three warnings, three strikes, you're out, I'm nailing you behind on the fourth one. There's no grace on the fourth time. You better get your grace, one, two, three, because number four, I'm going to drop the hammer. Right? We want to balance grace and truth, but that's, 
And it's, it's tough. Anytime you try to balance grace and truth, you know what you do? Every single time, every time you lose a little bit of grace and you lose a little bit of truth. And we struggle. Jesus was full on grace and truth. Can I just say that's not normal? Some of us are truth people and some of us are grace people. Those of you that know Karen and I, you'll know that I'm the truth person. Okay, that's a lie. <laughs> I can see some of you going, that's not true. <laughs> You've had a conversation or two with my wife. I've told people, don't ask her what you think, what she thinks if you don't want to know. And she's going to tell you the truth. And it could be painful. And so sometimes truth people marry grace people, and grace people find that truth person, right? And finding the balance just ain't easy. And that's why I think that we're struggling right now. That's why our world is struggling. I think that's why our, our country is struggling. It's because some of us are full-on grace people, and others are full-on truth people. And we just, we don't know where to meet. We, we don't know where to meet. And so we have some angry truth people who want to rebel and blow things up. And they want to demand that our, our rights be met and our voices heard. Mm. And I think, I can't argue with that. I mean, our, our voices should be heard. And we do have rights. But in the end, we just don't look like Jesus. Others are full-on grace people. And we just want to love everybody, right? We, we just want to, is this hug? Can we just hug? Like, we can just meet at Washington. Can we just hug some people? Wouldn't it make things better? So we sit idly by hoping and praying that things will work out in the long run. Maybe, but they don't. And you know what? We don't look like Jesus either. But Jesus shows up, and he's full on grace and truth. Listen, read the New Testament, you grace people. <laughs> read the New Testament with a different lens on it, and I'm going to promise you what you'll see. He never watered down the truth, never, not one single time. I'm going to be honest. There were times, and I, I mean, you've probably heard me say it over the years. I would say, Jesus, come on now. He's up just a tad. Aren't you trying to win the world? You'll do it with more honey than vinegar. I mean, come on, Jesus. That was harsh. He didn't water down the truth. He spoke the truth. Gosh, but he never, he never turned down an opportunity to offer grace. Never. He called sin, sin. He called sinners, sinners. And then he laid down his life for sinners. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. One day Jesus goes up to the southern steps to the Temple Mount and he's, and he's teaching. And some truth people, they drag this woman who's been caught in adultery and they just throw her down at his feet. And they say, teacher, this woman's been caught in the very act. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's almost like they planned it. They set her up. She'd been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses 
says to Stoner, What you gonna say, big boy? And so these truth people, they know the law. And they're holding hard to the law. They're hardcore truth, no mercy, no grace kinds of people. And according to them, she's been caught red-handed. And here's the thing that amazes me. Still, every time I read this passage, doesn't it amaze you? Maybe you never even thought about it. You're not as guilty as me, I guess, of sin. But I read it, and I'm always amazed she didn't offer any excuses. And I'm just thinking, if it was me, I would have said something. I just know me. I would have said, if it were me, I would have said, where's that stinking woman? I mean, like, it takes two to tango. You said you caught me in the act. Where's the other party? I'm not the only one guilty here. <laughs> I see some of y'all, whoa. She had no defense. And that's, that's pretty radical if you just think you're going to get slapped on the wrist, if you think there's going to be a fine, it's another thing when you know you're going to be put to death. She's guilty and she deserves justice and she knows it. So Jesus, here's what Jesus says. He says, okay. Truth people, if you want to, you want to play the law, okay, we'll go down that road. Awesome. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he, then he stooped down, and he, again, and he wrote in the dust. And, I mean, I've been reading this for years, and I've read commentaries, and, and commentators have so much to say about what he wrote in the sand. And, you know, one commentator said, you know, it takes one to know one. I bet that's what he wrote. I thought, that sounds a little seventh grade. Don't quite sound like Jesus to me. You know what I'm saying? Other, others said, you know what I think he did? I think he wrote down, he looked at some man, and he wrote down the name of his mistress. Maybe he looked at a woman and he wrote down the name of her man. I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but I'll tell you this. When he was done, everybody was gone. And then watch this, because this is really powerful. When to bring you to this point, he stoops down. And he looks at her in the eyes. And he says, where are your accusers? Where are they? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, watch this, this is powerful. Neither do I. Ah, grace, he's letting her off. No, he's not. Because then he looks at her and he says, and go and sin no more. He didn't give her a free pass. He, he didn't say, look, yeah, I, I know your whole story. I know everything that you went through. I know that you were married to a sorry son of a gun. I, so, you know, I mean, I get it. You, you, and so I kind of understand your husband wasn't meeting your needs. It's okay. He didn't say that. He didn't look at her. He didn't let her off. He said, sin is sin. But today I'm going to offer you grace. It's judgment day and she's guilty and she deserves justice. But she's surprised by grace. And why would Jesus do such a thing? Because life, like grace, <laughs> it's not fair. Jesus says, I'm all grace and I'm all truth all the time. 
And you know why? Because that's what love is. I love you enough to tell you the truth. But it doesn't mean that I love to tell the truth. You understand the difference? It means that out of great pain, I have to communicate to you. I have to hold you accountable. We have to share each other's burdens. And I expect you to do the same to me. And I do this with great grief. But because I love you, I do it. And I'll tell you this. When grace is on display, people that aren't even sure if it's true will want it to be true. So Paul said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So are you ready for better than normal? Come on, guys, look around. Normal ain't working. Being churchy ain't working. Being religious ain't working. Are you ready to love like Jesus? Are you ready? Are you ready to stand for truth but do it in a loving way? Do it in a way that communicates the kind of love that people have never experienced before in their lives. People that will look at you and say, I don't deserve it. And you can and you can say, neither did I. It was a gift. I didn't earn it. Are you ready to die to yourself? Are you ready? Are you ready to die to your agenda? Your plan? And just love like Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus and the good news of Jesus can be summarized in a couple of amazing words. Love and grace. And grace is an invitation like the invitation that Jesus extended to the woman caught in adultery. It's an invitation that goes something like this. As Jesus stoops down to where you are, he says, I know all about you. I know the good and the bad. And I want you to follow me. You. I want you to follow me. And no, I haven't forgotten what you've done, but it's better than that. See, I remember all of that. You know, we say God forgets. How can he forget? It goes against his character. He's omniscient. You can't like be all-knowing one moment and not be all-knowing the next. He says, oh, I know. And I will never forget. But that was the point of the cross. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. I'm going to give my life and pay the penalty for your sin. That's crazy, isn't it? Why? Because He loves you. And because love is gracious. It's to believe it on the third day that He was raised from the dead. He's alive. He is alive. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you'll pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you say, Father, 
I need forgiveness. I need. I need grace. I need it. I know I don't deserve it. I know I can't earn it. I need grace. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and I'm asking you to be my Savior, the Lord of my life. From this day forward, to the best of my ability, I'll do all I can to follow you. Father, thank you for giving us the privilege, Lord, first of all, of experiencing your grace, your love. Lord, then thank you for giving us the opportunity, the privilege of being able to share that with others. Lord, you're absolutely amazing. And I don't have words, God, to express it. I can say thank you, but that seems so empty and hollow. But I will still say, thank you. Be with us now, Lord, as we go through this time of the service. Do something amazing. I pray that what people will see is grace being displayed. It's in your sweet name we pray. Amen. If you've never been to a baptism service at Springwell, then uh, I want to make sure you understand what's fixing to happen. There's going to be some people that are going to walk out in just a moment. And these people have experienced the incredible love of God, and they've been offered His grace as a gift. It's incredible. And so what they're going to do this morning is they want to go public. They want you to know that they've made that decision to follow Jesus. And so they're going public with their faith, and the way they're going to do that is by getting in this pool of water. Take my arm that represents that person that sits here. By the very fact that they're in this pool of water, it's symbolic. They're telling you, I believe that Jesus, I believe He lives. I'm going to lean them back. I believe that Jesus died. <clears throat> I'm going to submerge them under the water just for a split second to believe, to say that I believe that Jesus was buried, and I'm going to pull them out of that water. And they're telling you that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But it's more than that. Don't just see that. They're also telling you this, I've died to the old me. The old me's been buried, and I've been resurrected, somebody brand spanking new in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that these folks are perfect. What it means is that they've experienced grace and they're forgiven. That's what that means. It's incredible. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you prayed that prayer just a few minutes ago. And I'd encourage you, step out. There's a team of folks right here that are ready for you. So I, how can I do that? That sounds crazy. Well, it's not. We're ready for you. So we have everything that you could possibly need. We try to be sensitive to all races. So we want to provide for you the best we can. We want to be sensitive to your needs. So we have a change of clothes. We have t-shirts. We have shorts. We have towels that are available to you. We have shower caps if you need a shower cap. We have everything because we want you to know that we don't want there to be a hindrance in the celebration. Does that make sense? So it's kind of weird. Can I just wait? You can there's some of you that, you know what, you accepted Jesus, I don't know, maybe weeks or months ago, but you've never followed through with baptism. And right now, you just feel this urge to think, man, if all these people can do it, what in the world am I waiting on? 
And I want you to know as we baptize here, all you have to do is move out of your seat, come right down here, and I got an incredible team of people that are ready to take care of you right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the testimony of these wonderful, beautiful people that have accepted you as their Savior and now willing for the world to know. Father, we love you. Bless this time. Overwhelm them with your presence. And we'll thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.